Section 15 of The Three Commanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manalakis. The Three Commanders by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter 12. The lookout party attacked. Repulse and flight of the Arabs. Securing the prisoners. A night on the beach. Rejoin the ship. Burning of the dhow. Arabs attempt to escape to the mainland, but fall victims to sharks. Encounter with another slave caravan. Return to the ship. Tom Rogers and Gerald had watched the approach of the Arab slave dealers to the foot of the hill. You may howl as you like, my boys, cried Gerald, but if you attempt to climb up here, you will be sent tumbling down again faster than you came up. Tom, meantime, was keeping an eye on the movements of the Arabs, and the moment he saw them lift their matchlocks, he shouted to his men to jump down into one of the hollows, he himself setting the example, so that the bullets either flew over their heads or struck the rocks behind which they were concealed. "'The rascals think they've blown us off the face of the earth,' said Tom, who had found a spot with a bush through which he could thrust his telescope and yet remain perfectly sheltered behind the rock. "'They're looking about them,' wondering where we've gone to. If we had but a few more muskets, we could pick off every one of them. Still, the Arabs showed no inclination to climb the face of the hill. Had the midshipmen and their party remained concealed, possibly the slave dealers might have taken their departure inland. But Gerald, forgetting the danger they were in, could not resist jumping up on top of the rock and shouting out in a tone of derision at their foes. Tom, seeing the Arabs about to take aim at him, pulled him down just at the moment that a whole volley of shot came whizzing through the air. "'You may fire away as much as you like,' cried Desmond, "'but you won't hurt us.' Though it would have given the Arabs infinite satisfaction to cut the throats of the whole of the party, they still hesitated to run the risk of being shot themselves at close quarters, probably supposing that the English were better armed than was the case. Tom watched all their movements through his glass. At length, the chief of the slave-dealers who had gone down to the dows returned on shore with several companions. Tom saw the others apparently telling him what had occurred. He appeared to be addressing them and working them up to mount the hill then, waving his crooked sword. He led them on towards the only path by which they could ascend, they following, shouting, and shrieking out vows of defiance. "'They're coming,' cried Gerald. "'There's no mistake about it this time.' "'Well, then, you take one pistol and I'll take another,' said Tom." and as they get near enough we must pick off their leaders. Tim Nolan and the other fellows must manage the rest after they have fired their muskets with their cutlasses, and I have no fear but we shall give a very good account of the whole party. Tom directed the men where to post themselves so that they could remain concealed behind the rocks till it was time to spring out and meet the enemy hand to hand. That chief, or whatever he calls himself, seems a bold fellow, observed Tom, for he keeps ahead and seems to be encouraging his followers. Who wouldn't, without him, have had any stomach for the fight? We must do our best to try and pick him off, and if we can manage to give him his quietus, the rest will quickly run away. The path made by the signal party was so narrow that there was not room for two people abreast. Some little way down, however, there was a sort of platform on which a considerable number could collect together. If we stop them before they get up there, observed Tom, we should have only one at a time to handle whereas if they manage to assemble at that place, they might pepper us in an unpleasant manner. "'I'm ready,' cried Desmond, 
If you'll give the word, we'll all spring out together and stop them before they reach it. Desmond told the men what Rogers proposed doing. They, of course, were ready to obey him, though it might have been safer to remain where they were. Still, it was important that they should conceal themselves till the last moment. The leading Arab, with his sword in his teeth, was only a couple of yards or so below the platform. "'Let fly at the fellows!' cried Tom. The men fired their muskets. "'Now, lads, we'll be at them!' shouted their young leader, and springing up he bounded over the rock, followed by Desmond and the four men, just in time to catch the leading Arab as his hand was on the edge of the platform. With a down-handed cut of his sword, Tom sent the Arab falling headlong down the cliff. The next met with the same fate, but the chief, who had allowed the other two to precede him, shouted to his followers to fire at the Englishman. The order was obeyed, and a shower of bullets came whizzing by them. Tom, in return, fired at their leader, and, without stopping to see the effect of his shot, shouted to his men to fall back under cover before a second volley could reach them. Scarcely had they got under shelter when the Arabs again fired. He saw that his former maneuver would not again be executed with the same success. The death of two of their companions appeared to have damped the ardor of the Arabs, who remained perched about the rocks, waiting for an opportunity to pick off any of the defenders of the height who might venture to show themselves. This, however, neither Tom nor his companions intended doing. Tom had recovered his glass, which he had left behind, and had taken a glance over the ocean to the northward in hopes of seeing the ship, believing that her appearance would very quickly induce the Arabs to hurry off. She was nowhere to be seen, though he had caught sight of several dows running to the northward. While thus engaged, the voice of the old chief was again heard, and though they could not understand his language, yet they judged from his tones that he was endeavoring to induce his countrymen to renew the attack. It can't be helped, observed Tom calmly. If they attempt to storm our position, we must drive them back. Our wisest plan will be to keep under shelter as long as we can, and then to spring out on them as soon as they get their noses near enough. Aye, aye, sir, cried the men in cheerful tones. We'll soon give them a taste of our cutlasses, and they'll not wish to have a second bite. Tom's suspicions were confirmed when in another minute a hot fire was again opened, the bullets just clearing the edge of the platform and directly afterwards the chief and several of his followers sprang up upon it. Once having gained possession of the ground, it was easy enough for the rest. Matters were now becoming far more serious than before. From another opening in the rock, Tom, although still concealed from the Arabs, was able to look down upon the anchorage. Hurrah! he exclaimed. Mr. Madsen has not been asleep. There comes the boat from the island, and if the slavers are not sharp about getting under way, she'll have the whole of them, but one or two are pretty sure to be caught. As he spoke, the report of a gun was heard, and it was seen that the boat, as she pulled towards the slavers, was firing at them from her bow. The Arabs on the hillside, startled by the sound, looked round. Those who were in position to see what was happening below shouted to their companions, who speedily began to leap down the rocks. Most of those on the platform, in their hurry and fright, springing down a distance by which they ran an imminent risk of breaking their necks. Others bounded down the pathway in a mode terror alone could have prompted them to venture on. "'Now's the time!' exclaimed Desmond, seizing several large stones which lay in the hollow. "'If our bullets can't reach them, these will!' And he and Tom, leaping from under cover onto the platform, while their men kept up a brisk fire, began to pelt the retreating Arabs, three of whom were knocked over, several others having broken their legs or necks in their flight, till the hillside presented the appearance of a battlefield. 
All this time, the midshipmen and sailors were shouting and hallooing at their flying foes. The larger number of the Arabs, however, reached the bottom of the hill unhurt and were seen hurrying down to the shore, apparently with the intention of shoving off to the dows to assist their countrymen. They were all collected together, engaged in launching a boat, when a shell plunged right in among them, killing and wounding several. The rest, fearing the visit of another missile, took the flight. The desire, however, of preventing the slaves being captured, either by bringing them on shore or beating off the English, induced them to go back and make a second attempt, but scarcely had they collected when another shell pitched right into the boat, shattering her to pieces and laying low two more of their number. This was more than their greed of gain could stand. Again they took the flight, following their chief, who made towards the only shady spot in the neighborhood, where a horse was left tethered. Mounting, he galloped off, followed by the rest of his gang on foot. The party on the hill were at first doubtful whether they ought to follow the fugitives, as Desmond had suggested. Tom, however, thought that they decidedly ought to prevent any slaves who might be landed from escaping. One of the dows was seen hoisting her sail. Having cut her cable, she stood out to sea, while the other two, in order to give her a better chance of escaping, commenced firing at the boat, expecting that she would at once attack them. The lieutenant, however, had made up his mind to have all three, and, disregarding their shots, he pulled away after the first, at the same time firing his bow gun at her rigging. She was a fast vessel, and was leading the boat out of the harbor. The other two dows, seeing this, began to hoist their sails for the purpose of slipping out astern of her. As he might possibly lose all three, the lieutenant now put back and managed to run on board one of the dows. The Arabs fought desperately, and it seemed doubtful who would gain the victory. "'I wish we were on board to help them!' exclaimed Desmond. "'If I thought we could swim as far, I should propose going off to her.' "'Better stay where we are,' said Tom. "'We shall have work enough to do. "'See, the other dow is coming round with the intention of running on shore. "'Probably those on board don't see a friend scampering off, "'and they hope to reland their slaves. "'It is fortunate we are here to prevent them escaping. "'Perhaps they have been so busily engaged that they may not have seen us.' and I propose that we hide ourselves behind those rocks out there, and if the slaves land, we can rush out and surprise them. The plan suggested by Tom was instantly put into execution. Notwithstanding the opposition of the crew, the dow attacked by the lieutenant was quickly captured, and again brought to an anchor. When leaving some of his people on board, he made sail after the first dow, which there was still a possibility he might overtake. The midshipman could hear his gun rapidly fired, showing that he was trying to bring down her sail. The last of the three dows had now stranded, and the cries and shrieks which arose showed that the Arabs were throwing the unfortunate blacks into the water and compelling them to make their way on shore. Tom and Desmond agreed that it would be no easy matter to stop the blacks and to fight the Arabs at the same time, as they would be certain to try and make off with as many of the Negroes as they could. Looking out from their hiding place, they saw the beach covered with blacks who had swum and waited on shore but the Arabs themselves were waiting on board till all were out of the vessel, intending to come on shore in their boat. Probably they expected that their friends would hurry down and assist them in securing their captives. Just as the boat left the side of the dow, the midshipmen, uttering loud shouts, rushed out of their hiding place, while the blacks, seeing them, ran on either side like a flock of scared sheep. The sailors in vain tried to reassure them, as they had not much time to do it, it was necessary to attack the boat before the Arabs reached the shore. 
the latter were evidently taken by surprise and cramped in the boat which was tossing about were unable to use their firearms to any effect a few shots were fired wildly and the next instant as she was thrown on the beach the midshipmen and their followers rushing into the water attacked the crew so vigorously with their cutlasses that half their number were killed or wounded before they could defend themselves while the rest as they were dragged out were made prisoners the wounded were allowed to lie on the shore while the rest were secured by ropes which had been brought on shore to bind any refractory slaves no victory could have been more complete the next business was to stop the blacks who were hurrying away in different directions in vain the sailors shouted to them some persisted in running off into the wilderness but a considerable number were at length turned back to the seashore where they all stood crowded together too much alarmed to know what to do and gazing at their late masters with astonishment still should they attempt to break loose it would be no easy task to stop them every now and then tom kept looking out for mr matson's boat and was not sorry to see her returning though one of the dows had escaped there is a chance still that the ship will pick her up observed tom we want his help to take care of the poor blacks and to look after these arabs how to feed them all will be a puzzle i suppose there's food on board the dow observed desmond yes but how are we to get it if we pull off to her the blacks will run away or the wounded arabs will get up and release their companions said tom faith then the best way will be to take them on board with us said desmond it's someone like the story of the fox and the goose and the peas the day was wearing on and the lieutenant's boat had been led a long way out to sea so that it would be almost dark before she could reach the shore the midshipmen themselves were becoming very hungry and thirsty for they had left their provisions on top of the cliff and could not venture back to procure them they had not a moment's rest every now and then they were compelled to start off now in one direction now in another to turn back the negroes who were constantly making attempts to run off while tom was watching the boat two shots were heard in rapid succession from the island towards which he at once saw her alter her course she'll not be coming here after all he exclaimed something has happened on the island and now is a signal to her to put in we must make the best of a bad case then said desmond i propose that we compel all the blacks to sit down in a ring they will be better off than they were in the hold of the dow and will have no reason to complain we must make them understand that if any of them attempt to get up they will be shot as for the wounded arabs we must place a sentry over them and tell them the same while we must see that the prisoners arms and legs are securely lashed if the other fellows don't come back i see no reason why providing we keep our eyes open we shouldn't get on very well it won't be very pleasant to walk about all night but it will be better than allowing the arabs to cut our throats or letting the blacks escape for their sakes and our own a very good proposal desmond said tom i couldn't have thought of a better myself and we will at once carry out your plan tom explained to the men what they wished to have done who choosing a spot just above the high water mark made the blacks understand that they were to go and sit down there they put the women and children in the center then the weaker-looking people and lads and the stronger men outside of all they could thus better keep an eye on those most likely to try to escape and they managed to impress on their minds pretty clearly what they intended doing should they make the attempt these arrangements being made they hoped to get through the night without losing any of their prisoners even should mr matson not arrive to their assistance they were however suffering considerably from hunger and thirst and at last tim nolan touching his hat offered to go off to the dow and bring on shore something to eat as there was still some daylight tom thought that he could manage to keep the blacks in order 
and agreed that Esmond should go, accompanied by Tim, while he and the other two men kept a strict watch over their charges. As the tide had already run out, the boat had but a short distance to traverse. In a short time, Desmond came to the bow of the dow and shouted out that they had found plenty of food and would bring some kettles on shore to cook it. By all means, answered Tom. After a little time, the boat returned with several casks and bags, two large cooking pots and a quantity of wood. These things were indeed welcome. Being carried up to a spot somewhat inland where the blacks sat, a fire was kindled, the pots put on to boil, and a cask of water having been brought from the vessel with some bamboo cups, it was served round to the prisoners after they themselves had first drunk. It was difficult, however, to help them, as the first who seized the mug would not pass it on in spite of all the seamen could do, until he had drained it to the bottom. The seamen would not allow those who had already drunk to have any more till the whole of the party had been supplied. By the time the water had been served out, the contents of the pots were sufficiently boiled. Now came the most difficult task, to divide the food fairly among so many people. They would gladly have fed the children and women first, but placed as they were, that was impossible. However, they were afraid to let them shift their positions. The moment a basin was handed to one of the men, he would not give it up until he had emptied it. Even when the men had been fed, they would scarcely allow their weaker companions to receive their portion, but tried to snatch it from the hands of the seamen. Night found them thus employed. The fire they had kindled was now of the greatest assistance in enabling them to continue serving out the food, and at the same time to watch their prisoners. Though some figs and other delicacies were found on board, the midshipmen would not give them to the Arabs, but properly allowed them only such food as they had laid in for their captives. The fellows grumbled, but hunger made them accept it. At last, by using kind tones and by gentle treatment, the seamen quieted the fears of the blacks, who now seemed perfectly resigned to their lot, and showed no inclination to run away. Still, the midshipmen did not relax in their vigilance. So busily employed were they that the night passed away more rapidly than they had expected. Their chief anxiety was regarding the events which had happened on the island, and which had induced Mr. Matson to land there instead of coming to their assistance. They feared that the Arabs taken in the dows had given more trouble than those they had captured. Possibly the lieutenant, confiding in the strength of his party, had not thought it necessary to bind them, and they had consequently attempted to regain their liberty. However, this was only conjecture, and they were compelled to wait patiently to ascertain the truth, hoping that nothing very serious had happened. Notwithstanding the general quiet observed by the prisoners, now and then a black got up and looked about him as if contemplating a start, but was detected almost immediately by Tom and Desmond, or one of the seamen, and compelled to sit down again in a good-humored manner. "'You mustn't be after giving leg bail to us, old fellow,' exclaimed Tim Nolan, patting the black on his back. "'You'll have plenty of grub tomorrow, and we'll be taking you to a pleasanter country than this. Ah, uh, there's another of them,' and away he would start farther round the circle." There was evidently no combination among the blacks, or by a number rising together they might have made their escape. They had all probably been brought from different districts, and scarcely understood each other's language, many of them having come from the neighborhood of Lake Nyassa, and others purchased from the Portuguese much farther south. A still stricter watch was kept over the Arabs, who growled and cursed at their captors, but were unable to cast off the well-secured lashings by which they were bound. Thus the night passed on. Tired as all hands were, no one sat down even for a moment, and six people 
armed only with pistols and cutlasses and a couple of muskets, were able to keep three hundred in subjection. "'I'd give a good deal to be able to turn into my hammock,' exclaimed Desmond. "'We may have the chance before long, then,' said Tom. "'See, there are the first streaks of dawn, and hurrah, here comes the ship. I thought I saw her a minute ago, and now I am certain of it,' he added, looking through his telescope. "'She'll be here in less than an hour.' As daylight increased, some of the blacks caught sight of the ship, which, steaming on, head to wind, seemed to create no little astonishment, and still more alarm, in their minds. The seamen did their best to quiet them, going round and round the circle and talking in cheerful tones, which had their due effect, although the words they spoke were not understood. Desmond proposed getting some more wood and provisions from the dow. They were quickly brought on shore, when the fires, which had almost burned out, were again made up and another supply of food cooked. The same scene took place as before. The poor negroes scrambled and screamed over it, though the seamen did their best to serve it out impartially. Then the Arabs had their share of food, and the wounded men were looked to. One of them had died during the night, it having been impossible to attend to him. Indeed, they were not aware how badly he had been hurt. With infinite satisfaction, the two midshipmen at length saw their ship come to an anchor. A couple of musket shots attracted the attention of those on the lookout on the board, and a boat was seen to put off from her. In a short time, Higson, with a party of men well armed, stepped on shore. "'I can heartily compliment you both,' he said, after he had heard the account Tom and Gerald gave of their proceedings. "'Now, the sooner we get these poor fellows on board, the better.' We have a good number already, and there must be as many more from what I saw on the island, but they stow pretty closely, and we must make the best of our way to the Seychelles or some other place to dispose of them. The Arabs deserve to be left behind, but as they would certainly die in this inhospitable region, we must in charity carry them off and leave them to be disposed of by the Sultan of Zanzibar, as you may think fit. Although the women and children under some circumstances would have been the first to be removed, as the men would be likely to give most trouble if left on shore, fifty of them were embarked and carried on board the ship, the boat then returning for another cargo. Thus, in the course of time, all were transferred on board. Tom and Gerald, who had gone on the second trip, received their due praise for their conduct. The prisoners from the second dhow, captured by Mr. Matson, at length arrived with a large number of slaves and the Arab crews. He had a sad account to give, but Tom and Gerald, though they had been eager to hear it, were by that time fast asleep in the berth, thoroughly done up with their exertions. Both the dows were set on fire, that they might not fall into the hands of the Arabs. On the sinking of the dow by the senior mate, in his attempt to save some of the women and children, he himself had lost his life. But the Arab crew from swimming well had been picked up. Two seamen had been killed, and only forty blacks had been rescued, and the boat herself had been so damaged that it was with difficulty she reached the island, when the Arabs, who had not been secured, leaping on shore, made off among the rocks. The dow captured by Mr. Matson was in so leaky a state that he had been compelled to land all the blacks, as well as the Arabs, who entreated not to be left on board. Trusting to their gratitude, he allowed them, when landed, to remain at liberty, without having examined them to ascertain whether they had concealed any arms about their persons. His boat also had suffered considerably. He was thus prevented from attacking the three dows when they first came to an anchor. He had indeed enough to do to look after the numerous liberated blacks, 
while several of his crew, who had been badly wounded, required to be attended to. So occupied had he been that not till the dows appeared did he think of sending the carpenter's mate and two men to repair the boat. In the meantime, several of the Arabs had stolen off and joined their countrymen, who had before made their escape. Leaving a small party only to guard the blacks and protect the wounded, as soon as the boat was repaired, he set off, as has been described, to attack the three dows. After his unsuccessful chase of the one which escaped, he was returning to help Tom and Gerald when he was summoned to the island by a prearranged signal. On landing, he found that the Arabs had rushed down on the camp, liberated the remainder of the prisoners, and having attacked the party left in charge, were inciting the blacks to escape. His speedy return compelled the Arabs to fly, but not till they had induced thirty of the blacks to run off with them. As they could not get over to the mainland, Jack sent a large party on shore to sweep the island from one end to the other, and to capture every Arab and black who could be found. Tom and Gerald, who, after their snooze, awoke, as they declared, perfectly fresh, begged leave to join it, as they were as eager as any to rescue the poor blacks who had so quickly again been brought into slavery by the Arabs, while they wished to recapture the latter and to stop their slave-dealing for the future. The party had proceeded halfway along the island, Tom and Gerald being on the right or the western side, when he caught sight of a black object in the water moving away from the shore. Directly afterwards, he saw several others in the same direction. Those must be... Arabs attempting to swim to the mainland, he shouted. On, lads, and stop them. Pass the word along the line. He and the men accompanying him hurried on and were soon joined by Gerald and his party when they caught sight of a dozen Arabs in the water while many more were on the beach, endeavoring to induce the blacks to accompany them. Tom shouted to those in the water to return. The nearest obeyed on seeing the seamen present their muskets, but the others still held on their course. Stop the fellows, cried Tom when the seamans fired several shots. One of the nearest was hit, but the rest continued striking out. Another volley had the effect of making two more turn back. Six or seven still held desperately on. Shot after shot was fired at them, but the wretches had other foes besides the British seamen. Soon after the leading swimmer had got out of gunshot, he was seen to throw up his arms, a piercing shriek was heard, and the next instant he disappeared beneath the surface, as it was as hazardous to turn back as to go forward. Another shortly afterwards shared the fate of the first. What horror must have filled their minds as they made their way through the water, knowing that at any instant a ravenous shark might seize their legs and drag them under. Two or three, however, reached the shore. Tom, who was watching them through his glass, saw them throw themselves utterly exhausted on the beach. Without food or water, their fate will be as terrible as that of those who have just lost their lives. They deserve it richly, however, there will be so many slave traders less in the world, he observed coolly. He, like many others acquainted with the atrocities committed by the Arabs, could no longer feel the slightest compassion for any sufferings to which they were subjected. The whole of the blacks were secured, as were the surviving Arabs, and marched back to be carried on board the ship. Jack, meantime, had been very anxious about the party who had to proceed overland, and he determined to send some men well armed with provisions and water to meet them. Tom and Gerald begged leave to go, in company with the doctor, who carried restoratives and medicines. The day was far advanced when they landed. They at once struck off to the north, keeping a bright lookout for the Arabs on one side and their friends on the other. It was near evening when they saw some figures wending their way over a rocky hill to the northward. They were at first doubtful whether or not they were Arabs. If such was the case, they were fully prepared for them. "'No, they are our fellows!' exclaimed Tom." 
Just as he spoke, another much larger party were seen on the left, making their way towards the first. Tom's glass was at his eye in a moment. Those are Arabs, no doubt about it, he said. They have muskets, too, and it's very evident that they are intending to cut off our friends. We shall disappoint them, though, I hope. The officer in command of the party, having ascertained that Tom was right, gave the order to push forward as rapidly as possible. The Arabs had apparently not yet discovered them, and were still advancing with their gaze fixed only on those whom they hoped to make their prey. Besides the Arabs, there were numerous blacks, secured together, in the ordinary barbarous fashion, with forked sticks. There could be little doubt that they were slaves who had escaped from the wrecked dhow and were being taken back to the coast to be embarked on board another slaver. The seamen, descending into the valley, soon lost sight of both parties. In spite of the burning sun which made the air in the valley like that of a hothouse, they pushed rapidly on. Presently they heard some shots fired, which seemed to come from the heights above them. Those heights must be scaled before they could reach their friends. The firing became more and more rapid as they climbed up. They at last caught sight of Archie and his party, who, posted on some rocks, were defending themselves against overwhelming numbers of Arabs. Tom and Gerald uttered a loud cheer, which was taken up by the men, and then, without waiting an instant to gain breath, first firing a volley, they rushed with their cutlasses at the Arabs, who, turning and throwing down their arms, scampered off with the activity of cats, leaving five or six of their number dead or wounded behind them. The seamen pursued them along the ridge of the hill, cutting down all they overtook, but the larger number saved themselves by the fleetness of their feet. A party of them kept together, however, and made their way towards the group of slaves, in the hope, as it seemed, of carrying them off. The seamen were, however, at their heels before they could accomplish their object, and they were glad to make their escape into the desert, leaving their captives in the hands of the victors. Hamed, who had followed them, was soon able to calm the fears of the blacks, whose bonds were speedily loosed and their necks relieved from the forked sticks. A spot which could be easily defended, should the Arabs venture to attack them, was selected for their night encampment. The ground being too uneven to allow them to travel in the dark, it was necessary to remain till the next morning to return to the ship. They had brought an ample supply of provisions, and the Arabs had compelled the slaves to carry food for themselves. The low shrubs growing on the hillside afforded an abundance of fuel. Campfires were soon lighted, and pots set boiling. Altogether, the midshipmen made themselves perfectly happy. The other officers sat round the fire, recounting their various adventures, Archie's party had met two or three wild beasts, and been threatened on their road by the Arabs who had escaped from the wrecked dhow. But they kept them at a distance with their firearms, and the fellows had not dared to attack them till, joined by the other parties proceeding to the coast, they gained confidence from superior numbers. "'They must be remarkably bad shots,' observed Archie, "'for though they had thirty muskets among them, at the least, not one of us has been hit.' In the morning they returned to the ship, having seen nothing more of the Arabs, who thought it prudent to keep at a distance from the hated Ferenkis. End of section 15